Well, let's bow together. Father, we do just praise you for uh, the privilege again we have to worship you, to praise you, and we thank you that we're able to do so because you have cleansed us uh, by your son, Jesus Christ, and you've renewed us, and you've given us your spirit, and we're able to, by your spirit, to worship you in, in truth. And so we thank you. Thank you for the privilege. And Father, I pray as we continue to worship you in your word, that you will work through your word in our hearts, that which is pleasing. Help us to understand exactly what you intended so that we would uh, hear what you desire us to hear and then do what you desire us to do. So we thank you for this time and we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, earlier we had uh, Proverbs chapter 3 read, and chapter 3 uh, is a portion uh, that reveals that we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're not to forget God's word. And we're also to recognize that God disciplines the ones he loves. We're not to faint when he reproves us or treat it lightly. And yet today we're going to take a look at a man who treats God's discipline very lightly, who sees it almost as, as not, he recognizes it, but he treats it so lightly that he allows consequences to come upon himself and others. We're going to see and continue to look in the life of Jonah. And we're going to see what happens when believers disobey God. Would you turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1? Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to be reading through uh, and looking at verses 4 through 17. Now I'm just going to briefly review the context for you. We looked at it in the last few weeks. So I just want to share again, we know that the book of Jonah is a true story that it is about a real prophet, uh, 2 Kings chapter 14. It's not a fish story. It's not an allegory. It is a true story. And most importantly, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living God incarnate, declared this scripture, this to be a true story, not an allegory and not a parable. Matthew chapter 12, turn it to Matthew chapter 12, and we have the Lord Jesus' words concerning uh, Jonah. Matthew 12:38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And that's what uh, the bad guys were wanting. They wanted him to do something for them. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. And he says here, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, he declares it to be true, the men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment, shall condemn it, because they, that's the men of Nineveh, repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here, and that was the Lord Jesus himself. And so we have the true reality, the reality that is true that this book is not a whale tale, but it is a true story. Now, I've shared before in the context uh, two specific areas, Israel at the time of Jonah and also Nineveh at the time of Jonah. And if we look at Israel at the time of Jonah, we see they were disobedient on their way to exile. And all of this was because of what happened year after year after the prophets would prophesy to them that they needed to repent of their sin, but they didn't. 
We have Solomon and his sin. The kingdom divided in 931 B.C. Nine uh, or ten northern tribes, two southern tribes. And from that point, the northern kings were, were evil, every single one of them. And yet the southern kings were evil also, except for a few exceptions. And they were on the way to judgment. And I believe we're going to see, as we've been seeing, that Jonah typifies the attitude of the Israelites. They would say they fear the Lord, but they were walking in outright disobedience, as we're going to see with Jonah today. And so we have in Scripture everything that could be said about uh, Jonah, besides the book of Jonah, in Second Kings chapter 14. Second Kings chapter 14, where we see that Jonah was a prophet that Jonah was a prophet and he was a servant of the Lord. Now, it's interesting to recognize that the book of Jonah uh, happens, uh, the timing is about a, a generation away from when God would use the very same group, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, to come and extract the northern kingdom out of the land to take them into a brutal exile. So it's about a generation away from God's ultimate judgment. Now, Jonah's name means dove, which we're going to see later, and I shared earlier already that he's a prophet, and he's also the servant of the Lord, but he doesn't act like a prophet, and he doesn't act like a servant of the Lord, as we're going to see. And then we looked at the Ninevites at the time of Jonah, and we saw that they were wicked. They were a violent people, and they were on the road to God's judgment. Just like Israel was on the road to God's disciplinary judgment, Assyrians were on the way to judgment. Now, you can look at a lot of different books about the Assyrians and how brutal they were, historically speaking, but God shares how brutal they were, and we saw this in Nahum chapter 3, that Nineveh was a bloody city. They were a, spiritually, uh, they were a spiritual harlot turning the nations uh, to their wickedness. They were, they were bloody. They were uh, full of lies and spiritual harlotry, as I shared. They were just like Satan, uh, Satan, a murderer, a liar, and, and, a, and a tempter. Um, and we see that the Ninevites were a people that were on the road to judgment. And yet, as we're going to see, and we see this throughout Scripture, God is gracious as he interacts with every superpower of those days beforehand. Egypt, Assyria, uh, it goes through, you see it in Babylon, interacts with them uh, to share from his people uh, that repentance is needed. And certainly we will see that in the book of Jonah. So with that in mind, let's turn again, if you're not there, to Jonah chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 4 through 17. And since verses 1 through 3 are so crucial for understanding this, we're going to just briefly review those and then come into our passage. Verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up uh, before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went on, went on into it and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God's word came to Jonah, giving him clear commands what to do. And God's word has come to us. We have clear commands. We have uh, the, the, the completed word of God. We have so much more than Jonah had. Now, Jonah had a lot. He didn't. He had the Old Testament, basically, at that time. Almost all of it. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And we have all of the Old and New Testaments. And so he is called to go preach against Nineveh, to cry against it. And now Nineveh was, as we see later on in the book of Jonah, an exceedingly great city. 
Well, that means an exceedingly large, uh, it was a three days walk from one side to the other. That's a big city. And as we see in chapter 4, there were at least 120,000 infants or small children, those who don't know their right from their left, their right hand from their left. They don't recognize they have hands, basically, in a sense. They're not reasoning to that level yet. They're infants, which means there was probably at least a half a million or more inhabitants in the book, the, the city of Nineveh, the great city. And now Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were the dominant world power of that day. Now, Jonah is called literally to go to the dominant world power, to go to the capital, and to cry out against it. Now, I think we're going to see and understand that the nations around Israel were aware of Israel's God. They're aware of Israel's God. They understood, but they had, as we'll see, like what these Phoenician sailors will see later on, that they had their own gods. They all had their own, but we'll see that the Lord is the Lord today. So then we have the call to proclaim or cry out against it. And it says, for their wickedness has come before me. God sees everything. He is completely aware of everything we do. There is not one thing that he misses. You cannot reason in your heart God does not see. He sees everything. And God is yet a good God, and we have our sins covered in Jesus Christ. I praise the Lord for that, that our sins are covered. But I want to fear him so that I don't sin. Uh, the fear of the Lord, we would not sin, not go that way and confess when we do fail. So God is aware of everything, and Nineveh is a bloody city full of lies, spiritual harlotry, influencing the nations, including Israel. And Nineveh is on its road to judgment. So we saw last week that Jonah gets the call. But yet he exerts great effort to go the other way. And we think, well, I would never do that. I wouldn't do a thing like that. But I think there's some areas in our lives that maybe we just do that. I think some people exert great effort, as we'll see, to go to a church that doesn't preach the word. They exert great effort every week to go away from places where they know they're going to be convicted of their sin, where they know they're going to hear the word of God, where they know they need to trust Jesus and walk with him. There's a lot of issues in Scripture where we can actually run away from, in a sense, the presence of the Lord, and that's exactly what Jonah does. So he's called to go out against and, and, and uh, cry out against it. But notice verse 3, but Jonah, and it's important to see that, but Jonah. Here's what God says, but Greg, or but Jim, or but whoever, but Jonah here goes the other way. <coughs> And he foolishly rose up, and it says he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And look at that. I'm going to grab a little sip of water here. So he foolishly uh, rose up to uh, from the pre- flee from the presence of the Lord to Tarshish. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. <coughs> now we see Jonah rises up to flee rather than to obey. And Tarshish was a long ways away. It was 2,500 miles away. And yet uh, uh, Jonah should have gone about 500 miles up to Nineveh, but he goes the wrong way. <coughs> and most likely... Because he was from Gaff Heifer, 2 Kings chapter 14, he went 45 miles, as we see, down southwest to the seaport of Joppa in the Mediterranean. 
And he set his heart to go the opposite direction right away and to get as far away from the presence of the Lord, in a sense. <coughs> so he gets on the ship, pays the fare, and, and you know, it's interesting that uh, we're going to see and understand today that these uh, guys that are with Jonah, they're seafarers, and, and they are salted sailors. And it was probably a Phoenician ship. In those days, the Phoenicians ruled the Mediterranean. They were seafarers. They knew what they were doing. Uh, but we're going to see even these salted sailors uh, couldn't, were no match for a storm that the Lord had brought upon them because of Jonah's disobedience. So he goes down, pays the fare, gets in the ship, and there's a ship there to go there. Satan's always right there with what you need when you want to go the opposite way. Believe me, he's ready to, ready to provide that for you. And so then we have uh, uh, Jonah on his way, and he has made great effort to disobey God. And maybe some of you have made great effort to disobey. And we're going to see he fled from the presence of the Lord. Well, he didn't flee from the presence. You can't get out of God's presence. But he fled from the presence in that uh, he was being disobedient. Chapter 4, he understood that God was a compassionate God. He understood that God would relent and God would actually forgive them. And he wanted to forestall this. Uh, look at uh, chapter 4 of Jonah. Verse 1, but it greatly displeased Jonah. That's the salvation of the Ninevites, by the way. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was in my own country? He's explaining, hey, isn't this what I said? You get an insight into his, uh, his prayer life, by the way. He says here, therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. He's like, I knew your character, and therefore I didn't want to go, so I fled. So in essence, he fled from the presence of the Lord because he's no longer walking with him, by the way. You know, when you're walking with the Lord, his, his presence, in a sense, is with you. You're with the Lord. You're walking with him. When you do your own thing, God is like this. You know, he will never leave us nor forsake us, but he's no longer with you in what you're doing. And Jonah understood that. He was fleeing. He wasn't going the way that the Lord wanted him to go, and he fled from the presence of the Lord. And we see that. And we see that Jonah did this because, as we'll see in chapter 4, he lacked compassion. He lacked compassion. He was so unlike God. He was like the Israelites, actually. They were very legalistic in a sense at this time. They were disobeying God. They would point their fingers at other people's sin, but yet they did not see their own sin. And so Jonah was like that. And Jonah gets angry. He's really messed up. Uh, he's messed up because he's angry at the salvation of the Ninevites. So with that in mind, uh, we have... Uh, Jonah running away from God. And that's where we come into our passage today. Let's again turn in our Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We see here the Lord and son of Amittai saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. And he says here, For their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish to the, from the presence of the Lord. And look at verse 4. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, 
and there was a great storm on the sea, so the ship was about to break up. This is pretty bad. Uh, then the sailors became afraid, and every man we see here, every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which they had in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Think of the scene here. This is a great storm. These are salted sailors. The ship is about to break up. They're going down. They're going to die if that happens. And uh, they're throwing the cargo overboard. It's a bad situation. It's a bad situation. And notice who takes the credit for it. And the Lord. The Lord did it. That's Yahweh. That's the I am, the self-existent one. It's the living God. And he is responding to Jonah's disobedience. He's responding. And he caused a great wind on the sea. And there was a great storm on the sea. The Lord God takes the full credit for it. He has brought this upon the sea and on these sailors and on this ship. So much so, the scripture says, so the ship was about to break up. This is a big storm. This is a very difficult situation for the sailors. It's about to be completely over. And we know, as we saw, that God disciplines the ones he loves. This is clearly God's discipline upon Jonah to get him to wake up, to see his sin, and to do the right thing. And he got us to go so far to throw this storm on so that he would wake up. We had it read for us earlier in Proverbs chapter 3. My son, and Jonah would have had this, uh, this scripture. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Uh, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son whom he delights. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Don't reject it. Don't treat it lightly. We see that in Hebrews chapter chapter 12. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to remind us of that part. Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. He says in verse 5, And you have forgotten, this is the Hebrews, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all of you have become partakers, then you have become, or then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. And the reality is here, um, Jonah is certainly being disciplined, as we will see. God has hurled this storm because of Jonah's actions and maybe some of you are experiencing great storms in your life. You need to come to the understanding that, is it because of my sin? Well, we know the disciples, they went out across Galilee. The Lord told them to go. It wasn't because of sin. But here, for Jonah, it was because of sin. And if you've got a storm in your life, you need to uh, recognize, if you're a believer, 
Not treat it lightly. Recognize God is using it to cause you to see your sins so that you would walk in holiness, that you would then experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God is a good God who weeds out sin, and he does it through that which is uncomfortable at times, that which is not pleasant to us. And we need to analyze and examine our hearts. Is this storm that I'm going through something that is because of my disobedience? Is God trying to wake me up to it? Well, Jonah uh, is definitely being disciplined. And now we're going to see some responses to this discipline. We're going to see the response of the, uh, of the sailors and the response of Jonah. First of all, notice Jonah's apathetic, uncaring response. He goes to sleep. He doesn't care about anyone around him. He doesn't care. He's very self-centered, very self-focused. And by the way, on a side note, when you are sinning and being disciplined by God, sometimes people around you are suffering greatly because of what you have done. What you have done. And so here, notice in our passage, the ship was about to break up, uh, verse 4. Then the sailors became afraid. And verse 5, and every man called to his God, and they threw cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah, again, here we go, but Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. Now he was in, later on, we're going to see as the captain comes to him, or the chief of sailors, literally, He's going to say, how is it that you are sound asleep, basically? Are you in deep sleep? So Jonah's in deep sleep. He's sound asleep. Uh, he's gone down literally into the sides of the ship. Uh, down, the, down he's fallen into deep sleep. So we got these sailors who are throwing cargo over. This scene is hard to imagine, the contrast here. They're scrambling for their lives. It's a huge storm, and Jonah's sleeping. And Jonah's sleeping, but Jonah, but Jonah. Now, uh, on a side note, uh, the reality is sometimes um, we think that God will never be displeased with his children or, or grieved over them. We have a theology in, in these churches these days that because we are declared righteous, because we are his children, that God is never unhappy with us because of his grace. Well, that's not true. We see in Ephesians chapter 4 that when we sin, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. God is grieved over our behavior. He loves us. And he is certainly grieved over Jonah's behavior, and he is certainly displeased, as we see with his reaction. So then Jonah is apathetic and unconcerned, and people around him, as we will see, are suffering. Maybe you've got a great storm in your life that you have caused because you are sinning and God is trying to wake you up to it. He takes responsibility for it. And there are people around you who are scrambling because it's so messed up and you are asleep down in the hall, not recognizing and being apathetic to the reality that God is trying to wake you up. Everyone else sees it, but you don't. And Jonah evidently didn't care here. He didn't care. Now notice what happens. Then the sailors became afraid. Everyone cried to his God. They cried to his God, and they were uh, throwing cargo over the ship to lighten it for them, we see. So they're afraid. These are the salted seafarers, the experts of the sea, and they recognize 
This is life and death. And they are crying to their gods. Now, in the pagan culture, such as the Phoenicians, they had a multiplicity of gods. They understood. They knew about Israel's God. He was just one of those gods out there, in a sense. He wasn't the Lord. He was one of the the, the myriad of gods. And you choose the one that you wanted. Well, that sounds like these days. People choose the God they want, and they have their deity. So each one called upon his God, and the sailors recognized, even in this situation, it was beyond their control. They were going to supernatural realities uh, here, false gods. They were calling upon them. And bottom line is there's really no atheists when it comes to this type of situation. They're calling upon their gods. There's just idolaters, There's no atheists. Romans chapter 1, there's no atheists. There's just idolaters. Idolaters. And so we have these idolaters crying to their gods. And so what happens next? Then look at uh, Jonah had gone into, uh, but Jonah had gone in below to the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. Wow, okay, this is quite stunning. So the captain approached him and said now there's two things going on here when i see the captain goes down and the sailors upstairs are trying to figure out what's going on too they're going to be cast in lots to see what's happening what's going on here but the captain goes down here and he approached him and said how is it you are sleeping how is it you're sleeping and that's a question we should ask ourselves when the storm is going on and we are treating it lightly how is it We are taking this so lightly. God is trying to wake me up. How is it we're taking it so lightly? Here we have the chief of sailors goes down. How is it that you are into a literally a deep sleep? A deep sleep. And so here we realize that there are some that could be just like Jonah and that we can be like Jonah at times, treating his discipline lightly. We, We don't care about it. We're just spiritually asleep. We're not paying attention to it. We're just ignoring it. And so what does he say? He says, end of six, get up, call on your God, because remember, everybody had their own gods. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we do not perish. The captain's like, we're going down. He knows it's happening, okay? He literally says, call upon, arise, call upon your God. Maybe your God cares about us that we're perishing. This is a desperate situation. And then, notice the sailors continue in their frantic attempts to survive. Verse 7, And each of them said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. These pagan sailors cast lots in the context of God's providence. And who does the lot fall on? Verse 7, So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Okay, can you picture the scene? They're on the ship in the storm. It's so bad they're going to perish. Everyone's crying out to their gods. Jonah goes down, falls dead asleep. The captain goes down, calls upon him in amazement. He's sleeping. How could you be sleeping in the midst of this, Jonah? Now the sailors, uh, they are uh, casting lots, and they basically figure out from the lots it's Jonah. So now they're going to go give him the 20 questions, okay? They're going to question him now with a rapid fire of questions. Verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us now. Tell us now. This is the this is the scene. They're going to die. Tell us now. On whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? 
Give us the facts, Jonah. What's going on? Who are you? What's up? Where are you from? And notice Jonah's response. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, I fear the God who made the sea. I fear the Lord God of heaven. Uh Uh-oh. Jonah's theology is correct, but his heart is far from being in the right place. He's sharing his fear. He's sharing his fear. Uh, and, and, you know, another thing, too, kind of on a side note, do you notice how God doesn't let true believers stay silent in their faith? Usually there's non-believers who ask questions. Hey, uh, what do you do on Sundays? You know, or, you know they, things come to you. Uh, I, I go to church. Oh, you know, saying, you know, there's a sense in which God brings the cat out of the bag. You can't be a, an undercover Christian for long if you're a real Christian, by the way. If you're not a real, real Christian, you can be an undercover Christian for a long time because that's your real nature, by the way. But here... Uh, they say here, how could you do this? Notice what he said, verse 10, the response. Then the men became extremely frightened, extremely frightened. This is, uh-oh, we're in big trouble. And they said to him, how could you do this? And maybe God is saying to you, how could you do this? How could you let calamity come upon those around you because of your sin, which you would not deal with? How could you do this? How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Evidently, he had a few more sentences in there besides he's a Hebrew that fears the Lord God. Uh, He told them what he was doing. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. The Lord wanted him to go to Nineveh. He went the other way. And so he's no longer walking with the Lord. He's fleeing instead. Not walking with, he's running away in a sense. So then, how could you do this? How could you do this? And we have to take that same statement to ourselves when we decide to sin and mess with the people around us. Most closely our families, but Jonah here, it's the sailors. How could you do this? How could you do this to your family? How could you do this to your church? How could you do this to your friends? How could you do this? Your sin doesn't stay in one place, folks. It affects the people around you. And certainly here, God's discipline also is. But we'll see that God is going to use it for good. He's going to use it for good. So the sailors recognize the cause of the storm. They recognize it's supernatural. They realize it's because of Jonah that this has come upon us. Look at verse 11. So they say to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? That's the deal. So they don't perish, obviously. They said that a few times, not perish. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. It's just getting worse. Increasingly stormy. Okay, Mr. Hebrew, running from the, from the God who made the sea, the same sea which is about to cause us to perish. What should we do to stop the storm? What should we do, Mr. Hebrew? And what's Jonah's answer? We're going to see he is still incredibly selfish. He is still incredibly self-focused. He is still incredibly unconcerned about those around him, by the way. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Well, wait a second. Jonah could have thrown himself in the sea, right? Oh, he's going to have them do the dirty work. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know on account of me this great storm has come upon you. I know why. Wow, he's messed up. Jonah should have said, turn the ship around, head back to port. I'm going to Nineveh. That would have stopped the sea too, I believe. But he didn't do it. He's like, throw me in, 
let me die, you guys do it. He still has a horrible attitude. Still has a horrible attitude that is so self-centered and self-focused. He could have just repented. And you, if you're going through something, just repent. Go do what God has called you to do. Turn around and go do it. I fully believe if Jonah would have turned around and gone back, God would have calmed the sea. I really believe so. And they said to him, and he said to him, pick me up, throw me in the sea, so he'll become calm for you, for I know the account this great storm has come upon you. Jonah's still not responding to God's discipline. He's not yet. Uh, he's willing to die, but he's not willing to do it himself, by the way. He's so selfish, so selfish. Now, some of you exhibit, uh, in a way, your, your displeasure to God's commands by the way you react to his discipline. And Jonah's exhibiting that. Um, folks, we need to be where God wants us to be. We need to serve him where he wants us to be. Because if we don't, we are totally uh, running away from the presence of the Lord. We are running away from where a relationship is when we're obeying him and walking with him. Sadly, over the years, I've seen many people who would come to the church who would just barely come in the door and barely go out. They would never serve. They'd never do anything, but just kind of come in a little bit once a week rather than serving the Lord with the gifts that God has given them. And it was almost like pulling teeth to, to do anything else, even to ask them to do something for the Lord, sadly. But the reality is Jonah here in this situation admits, hey, it's my fault, basically kill me, and it will stop. Well, these sailors are not like Jonah. They're actually unlike Jonah, and they actually try to save his life. They continue in this perilous situation where they are, know they're about to die, the sailors and the captain. Look at verse thing. However, that's in spite of Jonah's request, throw me in the sea. They didn't just grab him and say, good to go, Jonah, you're out of here, right? These guys had some compassion, which Jonah didn't have. Amazing, these pagan sailors had more compassion than Jonah had. We're going to see they had, he, they had, he had more compassion than, uh, than Jonah. However, the men rode desperately to try to return to land, but they could not for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. They're trying to spare him. It's interesting, the irony here, the pagans cared more about Jonah than, jo than Jonah cared about Jonah. They cared more about him. And that leads me to speak of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Don't buy into the fact that sin's going to take care of your issues or take care of the situation. It's not. It is deceitful is deceitful. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage each other not to sin, that you wouldn't be hardened by it, the deceitfulness of sin. And Jonah is, is certainly hardened by his sin. So we see the response of the pagan sailors looking to their false gods uh, in the midst of their mixed-up pagan viewpoints, yet we see their concern for life, for Jonah's life. But in contrast, Jonah, the God-fearer, uh, supposedly, is yet totally unconcerned and is sleeping, Then and he's awake. He's not concerned. Uh, he wants them to do his dirty work. He is so selfish. And I ask you, is your ship going down because of your sin? Are you bringing others down with you because of your sin? 
There's always collateral damage when we sin. When we as believers choose to willingly go, we mess up, but when we choose to willingly walk away from his presence by sinning in our actions, uh, there's going to be damage around us. So notice what happens. Now we have the Lord respond. You know, we had two responses, the sailors and Jonah. Now we have the Lord's response to both. Verse 14, then they, that's the sailors, called on the Lord. This is amazing. They called on Yahweh, the great I am. The term Lord is the first person to be I am. Uh, we know when Moses asked to say, well, what do I tell the Israelites your name is? And the Lord said, I am who I am. Yahweh. I, I am who I am, the self-existent one. There is no one who exists within themselves. We were all created. God is the only self-existent one. He is the Lord. And so we have here, uh, they pray to the Lord. And they, notice this prayer. We earnestly pray, O Lord. They're not praying to their gods anymore. They recognize this God, at least, and we're going to see even more so that they're going to see that he's the Lord. They recognize that. Oh, Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Lord, hast done this as thou hast pleased. Wow. This is quite a change in these sailors. They recognize he's the Lord. He's done it. But yet they're concerned. They're concerned. Uh, they cry out to the Lord. They're aware he's disciplining Jonah, maybe to death, that he has the right to judge, and yet they don't want to perish because of Jonah's sake. We pray that we don't perish because of him. But then they also pray, notice, that, that God would not account his blood to them. They're concerned. Notice what he says, We earnestly pray, Lord, that you do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us, that we would not be responsible for his death if we throw him over. They're praying that. That's what they're praying. These guys are praying to the living God. And then they say, end of verse 14, For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou pleased. Boy, if we would just get to that point, Lord, you've done as you pleased. You've let the situation degrade to this point because of my sin. You've done as you pleased. You're trying to wake me up. You've done as you pleased. Lord, help me remember that. Help me. Hillary, can you help out there? All right. So we have these sailors who are crying out to the Lord. You see, they fear the Lord. They recognize his authority over all. They recognize his authority over all. And by the way, you, you can't come to faith in the Lord Jesus unless you realize he is the Lord. You can't come to faith. If you come to a faith in a Jesus who is not the Lord, you're not saved because Jesus is Lord. Let me share some passages about that. Uh, look at your, uh, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 8. But what is, I'll let you get there. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You've got to call upon the Lord to be saved. Recognize he is the sovereign. He's the self-existent one. He does as he pleases. He does as he pleases. <coughs> Second Corinthians chapter 4. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4. Get a water here. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, in verse 3, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And your bondservants and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. They recognize that the Lord himself, the God of Israel, the God of this Hebrew, which they knew the different gods, they understood that he was the Lord. He was the Lord. And so have you cried out to the Lord? Have you come to faith in the Lord Jesus? If your Jesus isn't the sovereign over the universe, the Lord of all, then you have not come to the true God of the universe. Jesus is Lord. And every knee and every tongue will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So these pagans have a divine encounter. They were given truth and revelation concerning the Lord through the disobedient prophet, and they believed it. And they believed it. And notice, uh, then they prayed a prayer of faith. And they recognized that God does as he pleases. He is God, we are not. Those pagan gods, they're not gods, those other gods. He is God, and we are not. And he does as he pleases. So what happens? Back to this prayer. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Pretty simple verse to interpret. They picked him up, threw him in the sea, and it stopped. And here, notice what happens. The storm is over. You know, uh, and, and we recognize this too, when we are disobedient, uh, when we do what God wants us to do, the storms are over. The storms are over. He's a good God. He uses this one. Now, there may be consequences that last, but uh, as I mentioned to people, you know, when you've sown to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh, but you start sowing to the Spirit. That reaping of the flesh is less and less. You start reaping from the Spirit. There'll be less and less consequences, as we see. And sometimes God is very gracious concerning those consequences. So they throw him into the sea, and the storm is over. Now, you might think these sailors thought, okay, let's go crack open those drums of rum down below or whatever. You know, we're, we're fine now. Uh, that they, they, the little uh, foxhole conversion is over, and now they've forgotten the Lord. That's not the case. These guys seem to have really, truly come to faith in the Lord. Look at verse um, 16. Then the men feared the Lord greatly. They even feared him before, but now they fear him greatly. They recognize who he is. 
and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They are offering a sacrifice to the Lord and making vows. They are changed. They believe in the Lord. They believe in the Lord that made the heavens and the earth. They believe in the God of the Hebrews, which they would know about. Remember, uh, this area where they left from Joppa was where Lebanon is. It's close to Israel. They would know about the Lord of Israel. They knew about that. And they believed and they offered him sacrifice and made vows. The sailors feared the Lord greatly, feared the Lord greatly. And I believe this is an act of worship, which is so contrary to Jonah's response. So contrary to Jonah's response, an act of worship. They offered a sacrifice and made vows. These guys came to faith and worshiped the Lord so opposite of the attitude that Jonah had. And so then Jonah is overboard, man overboard, right? But on purpose. Man overboard. And God's discipline, as we're going to see, continues. Continues. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, some translations say prepared, and some people will say this to try and uh, uh, make the story not be as real as they as it is. They'll say, well, the Lord made a really, he prepared a big fish, bigger than other fishes. It's a different type of fish. He prepared that. Well, no, it doesn't actually say prepared. It says the Lord appointed. He chose a fish to go do the job, and that's what he did. He appointed a fish, and the fish went and did it. And this fish was obviously a great fish, which means simply a big fish. He appointed a big fish, and obviously this fish was big enough to swallow Jonah, and big enough for Jonah to hang out in the belly for three days and three nights. And so God's discipline of Jonah is continuing. It's continuing. It's continuing. You see, Jonah thought he could just die and it would all be over. It would be, I'll just continue in my pity party and go my way, throw me in and it'll all be done. That's anything's better. Later on, we'll see in chapter 4, dying is better than, than, than waiting for these Ninevites to, you know, we're seeing these Ninevites saved. You know? And so Jonah's discipline continues. It continues. And even though Jonah would rather die than serve the Lord, uh, God continues his discipline. And we're going to see, he'll spend uh, three days and three nights in hotel whale belly, right? <laughs> And yet these Ninevites, we're going to see that Jonah will eventually go and proclaim against them, and they will respond also. And we're going to see throughout this that this is just not simply a fish story or a whale tale. It is a story to alert us to the attitudes and actions that we can have, which are so contrary to God's character and compassion. And Jonah is so unlike God at this time. And so we've seen today from this true story These Phoenician sailors have come to faith. And Jonah is still rejecting the discipline of the Lord, treating it lightly, and he has been thrown into the sea. And yet God is gracious. He's still going to bring his his, uh, future discipline, as we'll see next time in chapter 2. So let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. What about you? What about you? Uh, Maybe some of you are in great storms. Uh, whether it's financial, relational, or work. 
And have you ever examined to see if it's because of your sin? Maybe some of you are in a storm and you're not saved and God is trying to wake you up like he did these Phoenician sailors. Sailors, He has let your life get to the certain point through your own actions or whatever it might be, or even storms that have come upon you. And he wants you to be saved. He wants you to recognize that he is the Lord and he does as he pleases, that he is the sovereign and that he is God and you are the one to call it to him. You're to call it to him. Well, what about us believers? Maybe some of you are in great storms and it's because of your sin and God is trying to wake you up and people around you are suffering. They're throwing all the stuff off the ship. The ship is going down and you are uh, nonchalant about it. Would he be asking you, how is it that you are sleeping? How is it they're sleeping? Sleeping spiritually, not awake to the reality of what God is doing. You're not awake. You're asleep to what God is doing in your life. He is allowing difficulty after difficulty to come upon you to wake you up to your sin. How is it you are sleeping? Could it be the Lord is responsible because you've disobeyed him? Well, remember, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he's a compassionate God. Just confess and, and repent, and that discipline, at least the storms will cease, and God will use that to make you into more like his son, Jesus. Jonah did not like what God had commanded him to do, and he went the other way. And God disciplined him now to within an inch of his life. And we need to learn from that, that we should not be uh, treating God's discipline lightly. We don't take it for what it is, that we will respond. And we shouldn't over, over fall apart either about it. We'll see that in Hebrews. Um, but God is good. So then we see this incredible story, true story, and these lessons from the life of Jonah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, what we saw today, that even these sailors acknowledged your sovereignty over everything, that you do as you please, that they were saved, Lord. And I do pray, first and foremost, for anyone who doesn't know you, that they would, like these sailors, bow down in their hearts before you, and they would believe and be washed in the blood of your son, Jesus and Father, for those of us who have been saved by your Son, may we be walking by our Savior's side. May we be staying in his presence by confessing sin. And Lord, if you are disciplining any one of us, may we not treat it lightly. May we not be like Jonah. May we learn from him so that we would ultimately share in your holiness. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time we've had in Jesus' name. Amen.